1: Hey, James here. I am so excited. Five years ago, I started this podcast. And even before I released episode one of this podcast, I interviewed one of the smartest people on the planet. I think one of my favorite authors, Robert Greene. He wrote The 48 Laws of Power, He wrote Mastery, He wrote so many great books. I highly recommend all of his books listen to my podcast with him from 2014 we're re-releasing the very first podcast i did with him and uh, soon we'll have uh, another podcast with him hopefully so just such a genius i'm excited to re-release this podcast from five years ago it still holds up today one thing i will say he told me in this podcast and there's just so many things in the podcast that were just unique and special to the podcast but he said everybody has a different process and a different journey some people come to me and say, I have no idea what my passion is. And then he described how you start developing your passion. You'll hear that in this podcast. But basically for the next 370 podcasts with such amazing, excellent peak performers in from every industry, I dive down on these questions that Robert Greene and I spoke about in this very first podcast. So enjoy listening to this re-release and let me know what you think on Twitter. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. This is James Altucher, and I'm here with one of my all-time favorite authors, Robert Green, the author of not only Mastery, but the 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, and, and several other books, publications... Everything. Robert, you're like one of the smartest people I've ever spoken to. When you read your books, there are so many examples and so much research. It makes me, it's an, I'm intimidated by the number of, there must be like 500 biographies in all of your books.
0: Uh, well, it, generally I, I read about two or 300 books to make one book. Uh, yeah, I've read probably over thousands of biographies.
1: Uh, what was like the last biography you've read? Just so I know what to read tomorrow.
0: Um, God, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm preparing for my next book. I actually just read uh, Phil Jackson's new, new book called Eleven Rings. So that might be the last biography I've
1: read. What's, uh, what's the next book about? And then, And then I want to actually start talking about your last book, which is called Mastery. But what's your next book about?
0: Well, in Mastery, I have a chapter on on what I call social intelligence, uh, chapter four. And I'm basically expanding that into a, an entire book. And I'm going to give you uh, sort of the, what I call the laws of human nature. Um, these go back thousands of years. It's sort of looking at uh, us humans as if we're sort of animals that behave according to particular patterns of behavior. And I'm going to give you kind of a code book uh, so that you can understand the weird behavior of the people that you deal with, uh, that 's sort of the general idea
1: well well I, I want to dive into that a little bit more because I sort of feel that 's a prevailing theme of all of your books, which is social yeah. intelligence but what 's you mentioned specifically code book what 's an example code here that you're going that you 're going to dive into
0: well, you know sometimes uh, let 's say you 're you're trying to persuade somebody to, to fund your project, and they seem interested, and then like two weeks later, uh, they're not suddenly interested, and you wonder what's going on, and you assume that they've just they lost interest, they're not a good person, something is wrong, or they're just an a- if I can say that here. And you know, you go through these kind of emotional reactions, And I'm going to show you that, in fact, probably what's happening is, first of all, people are very flighty. We all experience a moment of enthusiasm, and then 10 minutes later, we don't feel that same way. But more generally, what happens is you've not been getting at their self-interest. You're not appealing to something. They they no longer see what's in it for them. They were initially excited, but they aren't. So I'm going to show you, like, dependent on what it is that you're reading from them, not just their coolness, but other signs, what is happening so that you can now plan your next attack and maybe include something that will sort of perk up their interest more because they'll see that they're going to get something out of it. It's that kind of thing. I could give you a hundred more examples, but I haven't written the book yet, so it's, it's it's all in my head.
1: You know, it reminds me a little of uh, Robert Cialdini's book on influence and how he basically yes. look, looks at evolutionary techniques and how those are used to influence people.
0: I, I read that book, I think, years ago for seduction. It's an excellent book, and that, I think I, I used it a bit in seduction, definitely, though.
1: Well, well. again, it reminds me also of, you know, not only in uh, Seduction, but 48 Laws of Power, those two books in particular, but also in Mastery, how uh, a lot of what you talk about in Mastery is social intelligence, is how we communicate ideas and influence other people. What's the role of that in general in Mastery? Let's say percentage wise, if you were to break out all the components of mastering a topic.
0: I, I don't know. It's 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 more like 20, 25% of the game. So let's say that you're somebody who's really brilliant. You're like an Einstein. You're a tech genius or a business genius, but you've got really bad people skills. Um, you're you're kind of pushy. You don't listen. Oh, you know, I could go on and on. Um,
1: it, Thanks game, for describing uh, me, by the way.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know you, so I, I didn't mean it personally. No, no, um, no I'm just kidding uh you're negating all of your talent so all of that you know going to princeton and getting your degree and all that hard work is completely neutralized by your horrific people skills um and so i when i wrote the book i I believe that people nowadays who have real skill who've mastered a a craft of any kind are going to be running the the world in the future um and but you have but it's not just about being a great nerd you you have we're a social animal. Everything you do involves other people. You're always continually having to sell your ideas, um, and if you're terrible at it, you're just going to have a life of misery. And in my books, I you know I I have examples of people who were highly talented and who were miserable because they couldn't deal with people like Nikola Tesla in the forty-eight laws of power. One of the greatest geniuses that ever lived, uh, but he was just awful with people. And then I have in my new book this doctor, Dr. Semmelweis in the 19th century, who could have been greater than Louis Pasteur, but he offended everybody that he came in contact with. So, you know, it, it's not everything. It's not all about being political and being a bullshit artist and knowing how to charm people. That, that has its limitations too. But in, depending on what field you are in, you, can, you have to have uh, some degree of awareness of people, how they're thinking, how to get inside their minds, and imagine what their perspective is. So it's it's a critical part. And one other thing, I mentioned, like you asked me, like a code book type thing. Um, you know, there'll be a uh, there'll be a typical scenario where you're uh, you just entered a workplace or some new environment, and suddenly somebody is super friendly to you, uh, and it just sort of uh, takes you off guard and you're kind of charmed and seduced by them. It doesn't have to be a sexual thing, it's just a colleague or a friend. And really what's happening probably is they have a degree of envy of you. They're setting you up for some kind of negative action because people generally are a little wary when they first meet each other. So somebody who's super overly friendly on a first encounter is a sign of something wrong. So these are the kinds of things that I'm gonna help you decipher.
1: Ah, that, that's very interesting. It reminds me a little in your seduction book of the um, technique where you uh, build someone up when you meet them so that gives you ammunition to take them down later and have them yep. drawn towards you once you take them down.
0: Yes, it's a particularly nasty seduction technique. Um, it's like, I call it, it's creating a wound in the other person. So you're sort of making it, doing a hot and cold thing where. Uh, you You get them a little bit under your influence, and then you 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 pull back or you say something a little bit biting, but you don 't you follow it up with being kind of warm and friendly. It really puts people off balance um, very powerful seductive technique
1: i I want to circle back to that, but first, I want to talk about. Uh, mastery of it, which I think, which is just a, a brilliant book. I highly recommend it for everybody. Uh, and let's, let's get to specifics. Like the book has so many uh, extensive examples and you really don't, you don't really say, here's how to master something A, B, and C. I mean, you provide lots of A, B, and C's all over the book, which is, which is, I think, great. But you talk about apprenticeship, you talk about uh, you know the various ways then you, you break away from apprenticeship to form your own creativity. Maybe describe a little bit, uh, if you were going to give someone the five minute summary of how to master a topic, what, what would be the most important factors to look at?
0: Well, the, the, the most important factor is chapter one in the book and you're never gonna master something unless you understand this. The brain is designed to learn, we learn much better when we 're emotionally engaged, when we want to learn, when we're motivated, when we feel the need to learn, I compare it to let's say you you want to learn uh, you have to learn French, um, and if it's like in the university and it's something you have to study, in one year you're not going to learn very much, but if you 're in France and your girlfriend is French and you need to get a job and you need to speak French, because you're there and you're motivated um, you're going to learn like 20 times faster. That's just how the brain works.
1: What's people- happening there, though, is that first you find the girl rather than yeah. first you say to yourself, I want to get good at French.
0: Yeah, that could that could be. But the, the point that I'm making I, uh, is that when you're motivated to learn something, you have to learn it. Uh, you're going to learn much faster. So you're in France and you have met this great girl, but she speaks no English and you've got to be able to learn French in order to communicate and seduce her, you're so highly motivated that you're going to learn, uh, I said 10 times, 20, 50 times faster than the university student back in New York or wherever you're studying. So the thing is, a lot of people go wrong, they choose a career because it's about money. Uh, I have nothing against money, we all have to make a, a living. But let's say you go into law because that's what your parents are pushing you into and other people and it seems lucrative, but you yourself aren't personally excited by it. You're going to start tuning out. You're not going to learn very fast. After 10 years, you're going to burn out. There's, you're never going to become a master because it takes 10,000 hours. you probably all heard about that 10,000 hours. It's a brilliant study. It's just a number, but let's say it is... It is pretty real. It could be 9,000, 11,000. You're never going to have the patience. You're never going to be able to put in the 10 years or more studying something unless you really are excited about it, unless there's some kind of personal commitment to it. So it's by far the most important thing. It's that choice of the career. It doesn't mean you have to know exactly what you want to be when you're 21 years old and then go pursue it. It's going to be a process that might take you 5, 10 years, to figure out exactly what that is. For me, as a writer, it took me 15 years to find out I should be writing books like the kind that I write. It's gonna take time. Um, But if you don't make that first step, if you go into the wrong field, you're never gonna become a master. You're never gonna last long enough. So that's like, Uh, that's that's the first thing.
1: And I think a, a big question that many people have is, How do I find the thing that I'm passionate about? Now, you mentioned five to six years or 15 years in your case uh, in terms of wanting to be a writer, but what is that process by which someone finds what they're motivated enough to be a master about?
0: Well, everybody has a different process, a different journey. Some people know pretty clearly um, what it was when they were young. Uh, I met a woman who interviewed me. Um, She Knew that she wanted to be a writer when she was a young girl, and then she got into law, and it was a dead end, and she hated it, and she finally figured it out that she had to go back at the age of 31 to what she really loved. So there are going to be people like that. Um, But there are others, and they come to me, and they say, I have no idea what my passion is. I have no idea what I really love. And that's troubling, because that means you don't, you're not listening to yourself. You're not aware of your own likes and dislikes. You've been paying too much attention to what other people are saying. So you have to go through a process now of kind of looking at yourself. I've worked as a consultant. I've dealt with people, many people, uh, who say that to me. They say, I, you know, I'm 35, I'm 40. I don't know what, what it is that I was meant to do. I, I really have no idea. Okay, let's go back and let's look at your childhood. Let's look at the things that excited you. Let's look at maybe where you went wrong. Let's look at the things that you hate. If you hate working for a large company, if you hate politicking, you're probably meant to be an entrepreneur, to be working for yourself on some level. Um, Let's look at the things that when you open the newspaper or go online, these subjects really excite you, make you kind of like a child again where you want to learn about it. Slowly through, could take a couple months, could take a year. I don't know. depends on the person. You're reconnecting uh, to to what I call a voice inside of you that, that you had when you were a kid that drew you to certain activities and you've lost touch with. Uh, you know, I could go on for four hours about the process that I've dealt with consulting, but it's basically not going to be overnight. You're not going to wake up and go, I should have been a doctor. And I went into the no, it doesn't like that. It It takes time, but it is it is so worth it.
1: So so. With, um, so after that, that first realization that, okay, I'm motivated to be a writer or I'm motivated to discover, you know, more uses of electricity or to be an internet entrepreneur or whatever it is, what's the next, what would you say is the next step?
0: Well, you know, first of all, if you're, if you're 22 um, and you're about to enter your career world, it's not going to be like, I, it won't be like, I know this is exactly where I have to head. It's usually a matter of, I like this field, um, the sciences, or I like sports or whatever. A general category of things that you're going to pursue. For me, it was writing. And so when I was 21, I decided I'd go into journalism as a way to make a living and train myself as a writer. Um, so you're going to make a choice of something to start with that is somewhat related to that, that feel that you love. And it can be kind of general. It could just be the tech world, or it could be a certain kind of business. It doesn't have to be that specific. But you've got to make the right choice. Um, and once you get in there, um, I'm telling you that you want to think of your... 20s as your apprenticeship. Now, we don't use that word anymore, and it's a shame that we don't. Um, We we all go through usually the school system, the education system, where we're all kind of guided and there are teachers there to help us. Now, there's nobody there to do anything for you. Maybe your parents, but really nobody's there to guide you in this new part of your life. So you're creating your own apprenticeship, and that apprenticeship means you're going to learn skills. It's not about making money. If you if you are twenty two and you're obsessed with making money, you're never going to really make a lot of money. It's it's kind of the a perverse uh, law of human nature that I'm going to discuss. The people who end up making huge amount, the most amount of money, are usually motivated by something else. And the classic example is is Steve Jobs, somebody who from very early on was clearly not very interested in money, and and look where he ended up. So. You're choosing something that appeals to you, and then now you're open, you're on like a, I call it a a journey, Um, and you're gonna discover, I like what I'm doing here, but there's something better for me. It's not exactly right. I knew that journalism after three years wasn't really right for me, so I went into a different kind of writing. Well, you'll figure, all right, I'll go into a different line of work, a different business, still related, And as you do this, you're going to be accumulating skills, experiences. You're going to be observing people. You're going to get political, social skills. And by the time you're 31, you're going to own the world. You're going to have a lot of experience, and then you'll be able to figure out how to combine everything that you've learned into something great, something that really appeals to you. And I give examples in the book. You know, there's a guy I interviewed, contemporary masters. Uh, one of us, Paul Graham, who started a company called Y Combinator, uh, which is like an entrepreneur system for tech people in Silicon Valley. It's worth billions of dollars. And he is a, the same thing. He didn't realize until he was 31, I, I think 30, what it was that he was meant to do. But in his 20s, he did all of these amazing experiences that that served as the foundation for what ended up being this great tech business that he created um, for for Netscape back in the 90s. So be prepared not to necessarily strike gold when you're 25 or 26. Uh, It's going to take some uh, some time, but if you think of it as your own education that you yourself are in charge of, you're going to be a lot better off than people who just wander around and just choose any career.
1: Robert, I think this is a really important message now, even from an economics point of view, just because what we're seeing is kind of the disintegration of the middle class. And the middle class was formed by the conformity of the traditional school system, the conformity of traditional corporatism, where everybody feels that they're safe in their cubicle and they could rise up and get promotions and so on. People now have to essentially whether it's become masters or become close to masters, they have to take charge of their, their economic lives, which means they have to do something they're motivated by and they're interested in. Even if they don't put in their 10,000 hours, they kinda have to take control of their own lives. And that's why I think this message has become critically important in today's society.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I can look at my father. He worked at the same company uh, for 40 years, and they were loyal to him and he was loyal to them. And it's not that long ago that that world existed that people would work at one place and things were sort of taken care of but that's just been blown away obliterated probably by the internet by other things going on it's it, it might as well be the era of the dinosaur uh, right. and you, you're you you cannot rely on you you know that that company you're working for now it, they'll probably downsize you the first opportunity they can or as soon as you reach a certain age, they'll replace you with somebody who's cheaper. That's just the nature of it. I'm not saying it's good. I wish it weren't that way. But this is my books are about realists or being realistic. And that's just the, the nature of it. So, yeah, you got to take control um, of your own life. And 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 craft and apprenticeship. Now that you mentioned the ten thousand hour, it doesn't mean. Let's. I want to clear up a misconception here. It doesn't mean that you are learning. You're playing chess for ten thousand hours and then you become a master or medicine or whatever. Those ten thousand hours could come from different things you have done in your life. So, for instance, this woman that I mentioned who spent her 20s in law and realized it was the wrong thing, she decided when it was finished that what she would do was become a writer, but become a writer about legal issues, which was a, a very brilliant move on her part. Um, so now all of that legal experience added up to three, 4,000 hours already of writing, of experience about legal matters. And then when she started getting into journalism, you know, now the hours are piling up. You can take that time that you think you wasted doing something else, and you're gonna apply it to something that really appeals to you, and suddenly all of that experience enters into the, into the practice. I did a lot of really bad jobs myself because as a writer I wanted a lot of experience. I did construction work, etc., And all of those jobs taught me about people, and about weird power situations, and about the games uh, bosses play in all different kinds of of careers, all of which I used for the 48 Laws of Power. So you can be 35 and you're not gonna go, oh, damn it, I can't do 10,000 hours, my life's screwed. No, you've already probably done 5,000 hours. Now you've gotta find a way to apply it in a way that's appropriate and, and personal.
1: So that's a great way to look at it. It's almost like your past Don't view it as, you know, you've messed up or whatever. But basically, how have you built these prior hours as a safety net that you could then use to build either mastery or close to mastery so that you can make that leap from the corporate job or the job that you're not really that excited about to something that you are more excited about? You're not, not everyone's a Mozart, but everyone can use the hours that they've built up to build some sort of safety net for themselves if they apply your techniques. What is the relationship between mastery and happiness? Because many of the examples you use, and in fact, you used the example earlier of Steve Jobs, but also let's throw in, you know, Mozart and Napoleon and so on. These and Tesla, these people did not end up as happy people for, uh, you know, by and large. So- well, well, I would
0: very I would really much take issue with that. I mean, uh, Steve Jobs, you know, he was a tempestuous person who was sort of upset, had a very obsessive personality. But I would say, um, you know, judging on the biography, the last 12 years of his life must have been in, in, in immensely satisfying. Um, and there are mm-hmm. people... You know, it depends on your definition of happiness. So, I, you know, the book is called Mastery. It's not called Happiness. If I wanted to write a book on happiness, I would say, you know, go go take drugs and, and hang out in Peru on a hilltop or something. That's not what my book is about. But I'll, I'll say that I, I am making the point that the, everybody has creative potential. Um, everybody, I believe. And I think the worst feeling in life um, comes from the sense, as you get older, that you didn't somehow tap that potential. You're not expressing what you think you could have expressed, and I think it really makes a lot of people uh, very, very unhappy. Um, so, you know, Mozart Mozart was had a pretty great life when he finally left his father. The last he died young, but he I would certainly claim he was is pretty happy. I don't think a lot of these people who we see as, as very driven are necessarily unhappy. They've, they, 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 they do spend a lot of time with their work and they are maybe obsessive, but that kind of a, a attention to detail, to, to doing what you love brings a, a sense of satisfaction mm. that comes that maybe uh, isn't the same satisfaction that you might get. From an immediate rush of going to a party. It's a different kind of happiness. It's it's something a little more like a fulfillment. And, well, and I believe oh, actually that, that mastery is the path towards that. So, and and I have a quote oh, in there from Da Vinci, uh, which I love, which is basically just as a just as a, a day when you've worked hard brings a, a blessed sleep, a life in which you've fulfilled what you're doing brings a blessed death. I'm quoting it horribly, but the idea is if you felt like you realized your potential, you almost feel like you can die a happy person sort of thing.
1: I have to say Airbnb has changed my life. I just love Staying in Airbnbs, like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach, and it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb. I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So, if you have a home but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there and it's an e- it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the, the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You if you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And you know, thankfully Zip Recruiter puts the hustle in your hiring, so you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important, and I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, Zip Recruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So I, I want to circle back to um, the one of your earlier books, which was uh, on seduction, and and this is also related to the Forty Eight Laws of Power, where essentially you give lots of uh, not necessarily techniques, but different types of ways in which uh, people can use, and I'll use the word manipulation to yeah. get what they want. And what I'm wondering is often in manipulation it's the manipulator is viewed as having power and the person he's manipulating is viewed as the weaker person but in reality it's most likely reverse the reason you have to manipulate is because you're you are the weaker person and Uh if, if manipulation continues don't you think some anxiety results um from the person being manipulated that ultimately backfires on the manipulator
0: well, can you give me an example? It's also general. It's kind of hard to to get my teeth into. It. It's kind of general that way.
1: Well, let's say let's say um, I'm in a relationship with a girl, and yeah. uh, I'm constantly pulling back. Or, you know, withholding yeah. affection in order to get her to do things I want. I'm not, necessarily, I'm not saying I do this. I'm just saying this is a type of yeah, right, uh, sure. uh, seduction. You've, you've mentioned it in your, in your book, this type of uh, seduction. Eventually, the other side of that is going to get sick and tired of it.
0: Well then, if they do get sick and tired of it, you're a, you're a bad seducer. I mean, what 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 is your your goal? I, I, the goal is, is is in the seduction game is is to actually seduce the person, which means you know you you either you, you, you sleep with them or you have a, a relationship, depending on what you want. Well, <clears throat> at a certain point, you stop playing hot and cold um, because it's no longer effective, because as you say, they're going to see through it, and they're going to get tired of it. Um, so you're, you see, this is the problem people have. Can't, you know, it's a book, I can't, like, be there in the room with you and talk to you as you <laughs> read it. But the problem people have sometimes is y- 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 you take you take things too literally, and, and um, it's also maybe a fault of my own in the kind of books that I write. It's not totally, it's not the, the reader's fault, necessarily. But the whole thing of seduction is how outward you are. You're sensitive to the other person. You've got like these antennae that are invisible and you're your hearing and listening and sensing that, that they're getting exasperated with you, that they're falling for you, that, that this is what's happening. And you gauge what you do depending on what you're picking up from them. So if you were an experienced seducer, if that's what you wanted to be, you um, you're not just simply applying um, a strategy from the art of seduction. You're watching the other person and entering their spirit, which is one of the titles of the chapters, and kind of thinking what they might be thinking. And, okay, this is what's appropriate here. And then, you know, the word manipulation, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to run away from it. There, the, there, the books, both of those books you mentioned, um, many of the chapters or laws deal with what we would call manipulation, but... When you're trying to start a relationship, uh, let's say with a woman, um, you know, you you put effort into things. You dress maybe a little more nicely. You take her to nice places. You put an effort into it. um, And the woman sees this effort and is charmed and seduced by it because it means you're thinking of the other person as an individual, not as just you know, like a thousand other people you've met. That's what makes it so seductive. So is that manipulation? It's really kind of courtship. And a lot of women will end up complaining that men don't make any effort. So the opposite of seduction is like making no effort, just being yourself, just being kind of sloppy, the sort of taking her to Pizza Hut and watching a football (laughs) game kind of thing. I don't deny that some of it's manipulation, but some of it is just the fact that you're showing that other person that you're and, playing this kind of courtship game. And it's supposed to be pleasurable. It's not supposed to be.
1: And, and Robert, just to be clear, it's definitely not your fault as an author. It's definitely my own idiosyncrasies as I uh, as I read through this and relate to my own experiences. So tr- trust well, that.
0: The way the books are written, sometimes they can be taken the wrong way. And uh, everybody brings their own personal experience to it. So I've, I've discovered that people who've been manipulated by somebody else, who've been the victim of someone that we would call sociopathic, they read my books in a much different way from others that haven't. So everybody brings their own world to it. And and I guess that's a, a good thing. But it's it's i try to make it clear in the preface and in the writing that you have to not just follow what i'm saying in a literal fashion you know you you have to kind of bring your be in the moment and and be alive to what the other person is doing and maybe what i'm writing about is completely inappropriate to your circumstances so please don't do what i'm writing here because it'll get you in trouble
1: so now now robert you've put in the 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 billion hours, gazillion hours to to master writing. You're working on your next book. You've done a, a bunch of great books. What is and and sorry for the basic question, but basically, what's a day in the life like? Like, how do you uh, continue your mastery every day of writing?
0: Well, it's it's not horribly glamorous. It's it's a lot of uh, research, and um, the writing is actually maybe one-third of the process, so I'll go for a year or more just researching and organizing my thoughts and, and the research material. And then I write, so my, it's different depending on where I am at. Right now I'm just reading book after book after book and trying to organize my thoughts for this uh, project on human nature that I mentioned. Then when I'm starting to write, it's um, I could, I'll just sit and write for like, three hours or four hours a day and then I'm just like relaxing the rest of the time and normally I do a lot of exercise and sports it's how I deal with my stress but unfortunately with a broken foot I'm not able to do that so I'm kind of going crazy right now
1: so you don't really, like a lot of writers spend a lot of time building their so-called platform, whether it's their Facebook presence, their Twitter presence, their blog. You don't focus too much on that. You're very much focused on what is the next book going to be and how you can improve that.
0: Yeah, I'm a little, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 54. I've got sort of habits. I'm not totally of the social media generation. I'm in, you know, Facebook, and I'm addicted to it like anybody, but um, I've never if I, it's, 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 you talk about mastery where I, I tell people to do what they love and to listen to your own voice, I listen to myself and I don't. I get most excited by writing books. I do want to be, blog more because uh, I actually so, sort of enjoy it, but I figured out what it is that I like the most and it's actually creating something, usually a book, and not um, dissipating my time a hundred different platforms trying to build up an audience, etc. I just find it exhausting and depressing for me. So I like, but I'm fortunate that now I have an audience uh, who've read my other books that I can do that. If I were a young writer just starting out, I wouldn't have that luxury. I'd have to do what you're talking about and, you know, spreading my name out all as many different places as I could online and creating a presence. And I... I'm kind of a dinosaur, there aren't going to be probably many of me type my type left in the years to come, um, but I figure that if that's my strength is writing a book, um, you know, I, I might as well just do that and then, and then go the way of the brontosaur.
1: Well, Robert, I have thoroughly enjoyed all of your books. I highly recommend Mastery. I'm really looking forward to, to the next book, and uh, I'm really glad we had this chance to, to interview you today.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it.